Get ready to hear the truth about America on a show that's not immune to the facts with your host, Dan Bongino. So, folks, the talking points apparently uh, apparently went out. It's a viral blizzard. A viral blizzard. That's the talking point du jour. I'll play that for you in a minute. And uh, refreshingly, a random act of journalism has happened. <laughs> yes. Someone decided to actually ask Joe Biden a couple of tough questions. David Muir at ABC got audio of that. Also, I got my favorite conservative clips of all time, being that this will be our last show of the year. We'll have some best of stuff next week on the podcast channel you can check out. Uh, But my favorite conservative video audio clips of all time, I think you're going to like them. I picked three of them, some predictions and then questions at the end. Loaded show, last one of the year. Thousands of my savvy listeners have gotten a VPN to protect their online activity. You should get one, too. Go to expressvpn.com slash Bongino. Welcome to the Dan Bongino Show. Let's get right to it. We got that. Also got some physicians who were shocked, I say. Shocked that the vaccine is not living up to its expectations. Shocked. Maybe if Twitter and Facebook and social media wouldn't have prevented an honest discussion about the efficacy of vaccines, we wouldn't be, quote, Shocked right now. Thanks, Big Tech. Again, you guys are spectacular. With cyber attacks on the rise, protecting your data security is more important than ever. So why is Congress considering a law that puts your data at greater risk of being hacked and exposed to foreign networks? The Durbin Marshall credit card bill shifts billions in consumer spending to less secure payment networks, all so that corporate megastores can make bigger profits. Don't let Durbin Marshall steal your data. Visit handsoffmyrewards.com security and tell your senators to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Paid for by Electronic Payments Coalition. All right, Joe, last show of the year. Let's go. Yes, sir. Last show to go. So let's go, go, go. <laughs> Good try. Not. <laughs> Joe, he liked it. So that's, that was it. That's our out for the year. That was it. Are we going to do... Are you going to do a good day, sir, today at the end, too? Because it is, I mean, I know it's not Friday. Yeah, I probably should, don't you think? Yeah. I think we should throw that in. We should, because it's kind of a good, it's almost like a good year, like we're wrapping it up. Thank you for all your loyalty this year, too. Joe, Gee, Paul, and I. Oh, thank you. We really uh, appreciate it. The podcast is amazingly still continuing to grow. We we thought we were going to reach an asymptote at some point, and thankfully we have not, thanks to your loyalty. So we deeply appreciate it. So, folks, the talking points went out. It's a viral blizzard, Joe. A viral blizzard. Everybody get your snow. Here it is. Play this cut. The viral blizzard has arrived. Check this out. I think we're really just about to experience a viral blizzard. You heard infectious disease expert Michael Osterholm say that we're about to experience a a viral blizzard. One expert now warns a viral blizzard. As the country braces for a viral blizzard, there will be a viral blizzard of COVID cases. The country is facing a viral blizzard. A COVID viral blizzard. A viral blizzard is about to hit the U.S. One infectious disease expert saying a, quote, viral blizzard is about to hit this country. So predictable, so cringeworthy, folks. They just can't stop. Clearly the memo went out. I don't know, Joe, maybe yesterday morning. Hey, everyone, viral blizzard. Folks, please, it is a Merry Christmas season. Supposed to be joyful. I'm serious. I'm not being funny right now. You, your families, enjoy yourselves. Protect yourself. If you're sick, stay home. That's it. Enjoy yourself. You are Americans living in the greatest country, not just in, in, in now, in the history of sentient beings. There is nothing like this place. 
even with this disaster in charge now and these idiots in the media. You are blessed to be alive in this country at this time. Enjoy yourselves. Enjoy your family. Give gifts. Give thanks to God. Give thanks to your family for being there for you. Forgive people who need forgiveness. I need a lot of it. But have fun. Enjoy yourselves. With the nonsense. My gosh, it never ends. And thankfully, yesterday, here's what I'm thankful for. A random act of journalism. Listen. Credit where credit's due. David Muir of ABC. I don't ever know if I'm saying his name right. I'm not doing a Muir or Muir. I'm not saying it wrong to be funny. Um, David Muir at ABC. (laughs) Really, I can never say this guy's name right. I know that's not the way to say it. David at ABC, uh, Joe Biden gave him an interview in the White House, and uh, it aired yesterday. And stunningly, he started asking some serious questions. I'll get to some video of that in a second. But it was a random act of journalism, which is shocking. The reason I say that is even Politico Playbook, Politico is a lefty outlet. I mean, big time lefty outlet. But Playbook's a pretty good email to get on. Um, you know, listen, you want to know what the left is talking about. You don't want to be like the left is with us, where they're always surprised. Like, my gosh, we lost the election of Trump. What happened? You saw that coming from a mile away because we understood the left. They never understand us. So I'm on their email list over there, a Playbook. And this morning they sent out their email. And they had an interesting thing in here that even Politico Playbook, which is, again, pretty, pretty left. They're like, you know, this is interesting. You know, Joe Biden basically ran on testing, Joe. Like, that was his thing. Like, we got to fix the testing. Trump sucked on testing. We got to do testing, testing, testing. So Playbook says, listen, this struck us as a strange response from the president. He's talking about the interview. I'll get, I'm doing it in reverse. I'll get to the interview in a second with David Muir when he asks him about testing. He says, for the playbook says, for a year, Biden's been promising to fix the lack of testing capacity in the U.S. Here's a short history of his Joe Biden's testing promises. January 22nd, he promised a war footing to aggressively speed up our COVID response on vaccines and testing. February 17th, he announced a new series of actions to expand COVID testing, improve the availability of tests, and better prepare for the threat of variants. It didn't work out too well. March 11th. Biden says, we'll continue to work on making at-home testing available. It's December. July 6th, Biden says, we're going to deploy things like testing to expand detection of the virus. So this is weird, folks, because the testing strategy is garbage. But he can't even get the garbage right. The testing strategy is dumb. It's a respiratory virus. There's nothing wrong with getting a test. But it's not a strategy to stop the virus because the test is only as good as when the next person breathes on you. The testing, it's not like, you know, again, an STD where if you don't engage in high risk behavior, I said this yesterday, and you get a negative test, you can stay negative. You don't know that with a COVID test. You get a test negative, a guy breathes on you a second later, you could have COVID. The testing strategy is stupid. My point is not to defend Biden's defensive testing. It's to show Biden ran on testing. His presidency has been centered on testing. The strategy sucks, and he can't even implement the sucky strategy. It's incredible. Here, proving my point. David from ABC here gets this interview, and he asks Biden about that. Weir says, listen, man, you basically ran on this testing thing. You talked about it forever. Like, what's going on? People want to go visit their relatives on Christmas. They want a negative test. There's lines around the block. 
Again, I'm not suggesting the strategy is any good. But Muir's like, what the hell, daddy-o? Here, check this out. Learned just before we, we sat down together here that Omicron has now been detected in all 50 states. And uh, you told the American people just yesterday that we are prepared for what's coming. But three days before Christmas, if you look out across the country, you see it everywhere. These long lines, people waiting for hours outside in the cold just to get tested, to yep. be reassured before they spend time with their family. Yep. I saw it in Washington today coming to the White House. Uh, if you go to the pharmacy, we hear this over and over again, empty shelves, no test kits. Is that a failure? No, I don't think it's a failure. I think it's uh, you could argue that we should have known a year ago, six months ago, two months ago, a month ago, I've ordered half a billion of the pills, 500 million pills. I mean, excuse me, 500 million test kits that are going to be available to be sent to every home in America if anybody wants them. But um, the answer is, yeah, I wish I had thought about ordering a half a billion pills two months ago before COVID hit here. Finally, an honest question. <clears throat> the guy's full of crap. His strategy's dumb, and even the dumb strategy he can't implement. This is a double layer of stupid. I'm serious. I'm serious. It's a double layer of dumb. His strategy's dumb. He knows his strategy is dumb. One of the questions I got, and we're going to do questions later, was, hey, is he doing this testing thing to bump up the numbers to keep the fear porn alive? You got to have those test numbers to confirm cases, right? Can't just guess. No, I don't think so. I really, I don't think so. I think the testing strategy is just to make it appear that he's doing something. And he thought it would be easy to just buy a half a, a half a billion, whatever pills he calls them. They're tests. And then he says pills again. The guy's not even all there. It's a dumb strategy and he can't even implement the dumb strategy, proving government's terrible at strategizing and even worse at implementing the bad strategies they try to strategize on. They can't do anything right. I want to remind you, by the way, here's Biden on the campaign trail before, uh, before the election. It sounds here, seriously, I want you to listen. It's only about 20 plus seconds. It sounds here like Biden is criticizing himself. This is him during the campaign against President Trump. And I want you to listen at every word of this. And it sounds exactly like he could be criticizing his own presidency Right now, considering there's more deaths now, and he has failed even despite being handed a portfolio of options to fix this thing. Here, check this out. Just as states report record cases and hospitalizations and deaths continue to rise. This man simply doesn't understand. He can't deal with our economic crisis without serving and saving and solving the public health crisis. For all his bluster, about his expertise on the economy, he's unable to explain how it will actually help working families hit the hardest. Holy Moses, that sound like he's talking about himself? For all his bluster, this man, he's talking about himself. The death count, hospitalizations, the economy suffering. Listen to that again. Rewind that. Th you all can check it out. Hit the 15-second back button. I want you to listen to that again. That's Joe Biden talking about himself. Even the media is starting to pick up on this now. Like, my gosh, this guy's full of crap. Here, now I want to play this cut. This is from Donald Trump. We can stick this under hashtag, which we've used many times. Trump was right again. 
There's no uh, punctuation and hashtags, but Trump was right, comma, again. I told you the testing strategy was going to fail. It has. It's not stopping the government, which is they're, they're experts at stupidity, right? And repeating stupidity. They replicate stupidity often. They, don't, they never create genius. Donald Trump told them a while ago that the testing strategy was a loser because you can test negative one day and positive the next day and not alter your behavior one bit. Unlike, again, other viruses, like if you avoid getting bit by a mosquito or drinking contaminated water or a sexually transmitted activity from a disease, from a sexually transmitted disease from a sexual activity, it's high risk. If you avoid those behaviors, you won't get sick. That's not the case with a respiratory virus that travels through the air. Trump nailed this a long time ago in a Q&A session with the media. And again, they ignored him on how testing was going to fail. And it doesn't matter if it's failed. Biden's trying to do it anyway. And he's failing at doing a failing strategy, which is a double fail. Here, check this out. I believe the press person, right? You'd say press person. Uh, so uh, she tested positive out of the blue. This is why the whole concept of tests aren't necessarily great. The tests are perfect, but something can happen between a test where it's good and then something happens and all of a sudden she was tested uh, very recently and tested negative. And then today, I guess, for some reason, she tested positive. He brings up a good point. Why is the left in love with a failed, unquestionably failed testing strategy that they can't even implement? Because Trump said testing was not an effective strategy. So, of course, the left's instinctive show your ass strategy, which the left is, which whenever Trump says something, they have to show their asses, right? And they then have to do the opposite of what Trump says. Trump said, hey, testing's not really a strategy. Listen, no, no, it's a strategy. It's a strategy. Hundreds of thousands of more dead. Biden can't even implement the pill strategy. He calls them pills, they're tests, because he's losing his mind. And they, I mean, it, did he just not sum it up right there? Yeah, great. You test negative. Good. The next day you test positive. What, what's, what's it that you're, it's not working. <laughs> you know, we, for all the knocks on Donald Trump, it, it's, it's almost uncanny how these major predictions he made if he were to lose election, inflation, you know, the economy's going to suffer, coronavirus predictions, testing predictions. We did a whole show on that in my Fox show, Unfiltered. We did a whole show, a whole segment, I should say, about how we, call, we jokingly called it Trump, Trump Stradamus after Nostradamus, how he predicted all these things and they happened. And yet they treat him like he's an idiot. He's a common sense guy. He's like, wait, if you test negative today, you test positive five minutes later. How's that a strategy? Found that this morning. Another gem. Again, Trump was right again. Okay, um, you know what? Let me get to this political playbook thing next. Let me get to my second spot. And then after that, now, now crime's a big deal, folks. Major breaking news yesterday. Crime is now impacting the elites. And when I say elite, I mean non-elites. But now that it's impacting the elites, all of a sudden, crime's an issue. When it was impacting you and me and poor folks in inner cities, they were like, eh, double-barreled, family-friendly, middle finger, right? Playbook first. Political playbook. Again, Ryan Lizza. It's a rare two-parter today. They say, we've heard from local physicians, they're talking about Washington, D.C., shocked by the number of triple-vax COVID patients they've seen this week. Shocked, Joe. Shocked. D.C. Mayor Muriel Bowser, who only recently lifted the city's indoor mask mandate, reinstated it this week and added D.C.'s first vaccine check mandate. Uh, vaccine check mandate for many businesses. Here we go again. Yeah. 
That'll do it this time. That'll definitely do it this time. The mandates and masks that have never worked for two and a half years now. No, it's it, the seventh time we try it. It'll definitely work. Now, why are physicians in D.C. shocked that triple vaxxed patients are coming down with COVID and winding up in the hospital? The answer is because they don't read conservative media. That sounded the alarm on the efficacy of the vaccine a long time ago. If you would have read conservative media, you wouldn't be shocked. And by the way, a big thanks to the communists at Big Tech for preventing a fair and open conversation about the efficacy of the vaccine. I want you to know, and I want them to never forget, that they did this. They did this. The reason the medical community is shocked by the efficacy of the vaccine declining is because big tech censored free speech and an honest conversation. That's why they're to blame for this. You want to look at someone, you want to pinpoint someone that big tech did it with their liberal masters and the communists they answer to. All right. Uh, also some breaking news yesterday on Supreme Court. We'll get to that in a second. Today's show brought to you by Omax. Living with chronic pain is the worst. It's more than just discomfort, folks. It affects everything. I have osteoarthritis. I've talked about it a lot. It, it can be painful at times, but it's not just that you can't work out the way you used to. It's not just that. It's hard to relax. It's hard to sleep. It's hard to even you know exercise and move around sometimes when it's really bad. If you're looking to get rid of those nagging muscle and joint pains, do what I do. Try the natural breakthrough pain relief solution, CryoFreeze CBD Roll-On. It's developed by Omax Health, and it's fantastic. I've been using it for about two years now. It's a non-prescription, triple-action pain relief roll-on. Just roll it on. It's specifically formulated to block pain receptors, reduce inflammation, and improve muscle and joint flexibility. Here's the best part. This 100% natural CBD-powered remedy works its magic within 10 minutes of application, and relief lasts up to eight hours. Much longer than over-the-counter products. Paula uses it on her neck. She's got some issues uh, with her neck. She's got some, I think, some arthritis in her neck, and she gets some muscle pain there. Omax Health is offering my listeners 20% off a full bottle of CryoFreeze CBD pain relief roll-on. It's a nice savings. This discount also applies towards any product site-wide. Just go to Omax, O-M-A-X, health.com today, and you can enter code Bongino. That's omaxhealth.com, enter code Bongino to get 20% off CryoFreeze and site-wide. Pro athletes such as PGA golfer Kyle Stanley use CryoFreeze CBD to recover on and off the course. You just roll it on where it hurts and ice out the pain. There's no messy creams. There's no horrible fragrances like some of those other products. Just go to omaxhealth.com and enter code Bongino, B-O-N-G-I-N-O, and get 20% off CryoFreeze and site-wide. This stuff works. I can personally vouch for it. Terrific. It's got me through a lot of rough times. Thanks, Omax. We appreciate it. Okay. So again, uh, if big tech had allowed an honest conversation because uh, they can't because they're commies, then we wouldn't be in this position we are now. The good news is the Supreme Court is going to hear this on January 7th. You'll see in this Washington Examiner piece, if you want to read the whole thing, it'll be in the show notes. Kaylin D, Supreme Court to hear arguments on Biden's vaccine or test mandate. So January 7th, we'll see how they rule. I have very little faith in the Supreme Court these days. I have a lot of faith and Clarence Thomas and Alito, they've been fantastic. And, and Gorsuch's been pretty good. Um, Kavanaugh and, um, and Coney Barrett, ladies and gentlemen, are uh, totally unpredictable. Forget Roberts. Roberts is a liberal. Robert, don't even, we don't have a 6-3 majority. It's a 5-4. Roberts is a full-blown liberal now. But they're going to be, the Supreme Court's going to be determining the constitutionality of two mandates from Biden. Remember, there wasn't just one. 
The first one is going to be the mandate that any any uh, employer with 100 employees or more, that vaccine mandate, we'll see where that goes. And then the second one is the healthcare mandate. We'll see where, where, if you're in the healthcare space, the vaccine mandate for that too. So it'll actually be two. So we'll see where the Supreme Court goes with that on January 7th, just a couple weeks away. Let's hope they do the constitutional thing and do their jobs and don't uh, pander to the editorial column of the Washington Post, the op-ed column. That's embarrassing. Roberts does that all the time. It is. It's just straight up embarrassing. Folks, crime is now impacting the elite. So now, all of a sudden, now it's a problem. On this show, we've only been warning about the disintegration of broken windows policing, how that was going to lead to an explosion in crime for a very long time. Broken windows policing is very simply the idea that if you take care of the small crimes, if you arrest people for the little things like turnstile jumping on a subway, leaping over, not paying, digging on the subway, that the guy who jumps the turnstiles, the guy who goes on the train and robs someone. That wasn't always the view of police. I can't say this enough. In New York City, the idea was, ah, oh, you don't arrest the turnstile jumper. And the cop comes off the street, processing the guy in the precinct. You're not there to intercept the guy who's going to rape or rob someone on the train. It was the same guy. That was a major, major revelation. It was a revolution, too, in policing. No, go out and arrest the guy who jumped the turnstile. He's the guy who's going to burglarize a house or rob someone on the train. Folks, I'm telling you, having lived through broken windows policing as an NYPD officer myself, as it was happening, I'm not sure you understand the revolution this was. Cops are always told, oh, leave the guy alone, smoking a joint in the street or doing crack in the street. It's no big deal. Unless he mugs someone, it's no big deal. Then all of a sudden, the next day, they were like, hey, that kid smoking a joint or that guy smoking crack, that guy peeing in the corner, you better arrest him. Whether you agree with it or not, that was the shift. It was seismic. It wasn't just a little thing. Well, now that crime's becoming a problem because the elites are getting carjacked, mugged, homes burglarized, all of a sudden they're saying, oh, the Democrats are like, hey, that defund the police thing was kind of stupid. We're going to turn this thing around. No, you won't. You won't turn around overnight. Why? Because you screwed up huge. There was an excellent article in the journal a few days ago. Forgive me, I don't have the citation here because I missed it. It was a, I'm not sure if it was by Jason Riley, but it was an article saying exactly that, that for New York City residents and other places where they elected people like Eric Adams, Democrats who are pretending to be reformers, I say pretending because I'm not sure yet. Let's see if they're pretenders or not. Uh, they want to be reformers on policing. They're Democrats. We'll see what they do. But there's going to be no turnaround overnight. Let me just mention three things specifically that are going to take a long time to turn around in New York City and elsewhere. The bail reform. Folks, you let out a bunch of criminals on the street with almost no bail. They're out there now preying on people. It's hard to go find them again. They don't want to be found. Second, there's been a culture change with police. The left has gone from, you know, we don't like the police to we hate the police to the police are the problem and defund them and fire them all. It's going to take 10 years to turn around the culture where police are respected again. It's sad and it's tragic, but it really does matter. And finally, why this isn't going to turn around overnight. Folks, with the, with the collapse of broken windows policing and not arresting people for the small stuff, again, the bad guys aren't in jail. You have to understand there's a very small percentage of the population that commits the overwhelming number of crimes. Overwhelming. Those people are all out on the street again now. 
They're not just going to go turn themselves in. If you would have had broken windows policing and re-implemented it, you would have had some of these people because they would have done something dumb like jump the turnstile. But because you don't have that, they're not in jail or out on the street. I highlighted this very issue on my show unfiltered. I, I don't like playing clips of myself, but this was interesting because it had another clip embedded in it. How this explosion in street crime, homicides, property theft, mass uh, burglaries of stores and robberies of stores. I highlighted how liberal DAs on my show were playing all this down. I want to play this video clip from my show unfiltered. You're going to hear George Gascon first from LA, a disastrous district attorney, Soros guy. You're going to hear Gavin Newsom, governor of California, and Krasner, the DA in Philly, another Soros guy, all playing down crime. Oh, it's no big deal. Don't worry, folks. This crime's happening. It's not a big deal. No, no, really. And then here's some commentary from me after I uh, check this out. To what extent do you and your policies bear any responsibility for that? Well, actually, none. And actually, most crime is down. Uh, but for homicides. This is not unique. Violent crime and property crime, for example, is higher in Texas than it is in California. I don't see that. I think it's important that we don't let this become mushy and bleed into the notion that there's some kind of a big spike in crime. There isn't. Listen, I'm a conservative, okay? It's not a secret. But I mean it when I say it. This isn't any kind of time for cheap partisanship here. These are people's lives. People are dying. They're being assaulted, they're being robbed, they're being killed, they're their livelihoods, their families are being ripped apart. If an elected Democrat wants to take a stand, a bold stand for public safety and the rights of citizens to live in peace in their communities, I'll have you right here on the show. I meant that. We put out an offer to Eric Adams, the mayor-elect of New York City. Fair interview. I'm not interested in the, the you know, uh, a, a, a hit job piece. If Eric Adams, the incoming Democrat mayor of New York City, is serious about being tough on crime, I'd love to have him on my show and discuss broken windows policing, bail reform, the return of street crime and anti-crime, plainclothes units. The invite's out there, folks. We send it out there. We, we haven't heard back uh, yay or nay, but the invite's out there, so you don't think I'm speaking with forked tongue. This stuff has to stop. It's not a partisan issue. I have family in New York. I don't want them dying so we can, you know, oh, look, well, Democrats, Democrats really suck. You know, mom's dead. No, no, that's like sicko stuff. Now, all of a sudden, the conversation on crime is turning. Why? Because of stories like this from yesterday. Kansas City Star, a gunfire erupts during a carjacking of an Illinois state senator's Mercedes SUV, cops say. Illinois state senator, tragically, it's carjacked. Folks, this isn't like funny. This isn't shouting front stuff. This is real. Could have been dead. But now all of a sudden, because it's a state senator, it's a big issue. What about all the other people who are carjacked? What about the other people who are killed? They don't have a say anymore in anything. They're dead. Oh, you think that's it? Two lawmakers on the Democrat side yesterday. Here's the blaze. Carlos Garcia, Democrat congresswoman who voted to defund the police, gets carjacked and robbed at gunpoint in broad daylight. Not funny. Nothing funny about this. I don't wish ill on anyone because of their political stupidity. But my gosh, now you had to wait for that to happen to them before all of a sudden we realize it's a problem? Why? Because the poor folks in your congressional district who can't afford lobbyists, if they get mugged, robbed, burglarized, raped, murdered, or killed, that doesn't really matter? 
Now it'll be a big deal. Showing you the hypocrisy of the left. We're in it for the little guy. Yeah, yeah, you're in it for the little guy. Please spare me the nonsense. Finally, a message to the left for you. I want you to read this Washington Examiner article. It'll be in my newsletters from this morning. Escape from Democratic Governance. So the Census Bureau released their data this week. And unsurprisingly to anyone listening to this show right now, 20 states lost population. You know who led the way? States controlled by Democrats where there's a mass exodus. The three biggest losers? California lost 367,000 people. New York, 352,000. And Illinois, 122,000. Three of the biggest Democrat states controlled completely by the Democrat Party. My message to the Democrats and those people leaving, not the conservatives, liberty lovers, and patriots. I'm serious. I'm not kidding. Please don't come here to Florida. Florida has been the biggest net gainer of people, along with Texas. I'm asking you a favor. I know you hate my guts. We don't like each other. We have political disagreements. I get it. I read your death threats every day. I'm asking you for a favor. It's a free country. I can't tell you what to do, but please, please don't come here. Please don't come to Florida. Please don't bring your nonsense here. I have family here. We have business here. We have employees here. We have public safety here. We have a good thing down here. We don't want your coronavirus chaos. We have a relatively controlled coronavirus situation down here. We've got a great governor. Business is exploding. People are enjoying their lives again down here in Florida. Unemployment's low. The state budget's under control. We have a great sheriff here in Martin County. We have a great statewide Florida Department of Law Enforcement. Please, I'm begging you as as a non-friend, please don't come down here. You don't want to be around us. We don't want to be around you. Whatever you're doing to destroy and decimate your blue states, please do not bring your nonsense here. Please. I can't stop you. It's a free country, obviously. But please don't come here. We, I'm telling you, I, I know for a fact I can speak for conservative and Republican Florida that's turned this state into a gem. Please don't come here. You are not wanted. Stay where you are. You ruined what you had, and now you want to come down here and ruin what we have. Just leave us alone. I'm not kidding. Don't dare bring that nonsense down here. We're not interested. Sorry, I just, I feel bad for Joe. He's stuck in Maryland. I really do. I <laughs> feel terrible for Joe being stuck up there. I really, Because I, I, you know, I don't bring your nonsense here, please. The, you know, Marylanders moved over to Virginia, and some of them, uh, the Democrat ones, not the Republican ones, destroyed that state too. If you're looking for a firearm that's easy to transport, you got to check out the U.S. Survival Rifle from Henry Repeating Arms. It's a portable rifle you can put together and take apart in a few minutes. And then when you're not using it, you can store the parts in the little case it comes in. It's so small, it can be stored anywhere, in a go bag, anywhere. It's light enough to carry everywhere. Comes in black and two different camo patterns. You can pick one up for three to $400, depending on the finish. You can watch a few videos at henryusa.com survival. And while you're there, be sure to order their free catalog. Henry makes more than 200 rifles, shotguns, and revolvers in the role made in America, backed by a lifetime satisfaction guarantee and the best customer service in the business. Go to their website. It's henryusa.com and be sure to order a free catalog. They'll send it with free decals on a list of dealers in your area. That's henryusa.com for a free catalog and decals and to see the Henry U.S. Survival Rifle. All right. Getting back to my show. So I thought being at the end of the, you know, I don't want to do a whole show of these, what they call, you know, listicles, these lists. Best of, where's the, uh, but, you know, it is the end of the year. So I want to have a little bit of fun with it. 
So I thought it'd probably be a good time to play some of my favorite video clips of all time for conservatives. These are clips that if you would play them for your liberal friends, they'll have a tough time refuting. Um, conveniently, they're Thomas Sowell and Milton Friedman. I'll play three of them. They're about a minute plus. But this first one, this is one of my favorites. We played it on the show in the past. This is the legend, Thomas Sowell, economist and philosopher. I Philosopher, I would say. He's an economist by trade. But this is the great Thomas Sowell. He's debating a liberal, a woman by the name, and you'll hear her first. Her name is Helen O'Banion. It's from decades ago. She was a leftist, and she was the uh, Pennsylvania like labor. Uh, she was involved with their, their Department of Labor. And Helen O'Banion is trying to defend welfare for single mothers, how it's some effective system. Um, it's not. It's not an effective system. It's failed repeatedly over and over. So you'll hear her first, and then you'll hear Thomas Sowell. And he makes three points about here uh, to, and return to her. And when, when he, uh, excuse me, when he, uh, when he uh, rebuts what she's saying, he makes a point about the in inefficiency of welfare, about poverty, and about starting the story in the middle. This is a great, great cut. Totally evergreen. Cut off welfare tomorrow. What will they do? What will be their immediate response? At what price to their small children and to their uh, middle-aged children? Uh, yes, they'll get a job. In fact, the statistics show that women, in fact, are the most successful through the Absolutely. employment program. But what has to supplement that typically is the provision of some kind of daycare arrangement. Either the individual woman has to earn enough money to be able to pay privately for her daycare, or in fact she is, quote, subsidized through this insidious uh, corrupting program, set of programs run by the federal government, which in fact makes her employable and a taxpayer. Uh, it's a, it's an interesting uh, notion of trying to get people in a productive mode. Tom so It's incredible the, the, the way you start the story in the middle, uh, as if there's a predestined amount of poverty, a predestined amount of unemployment, and that the welfare system is not itself in any way responsible there for that. There is a predestined 20% of the bottom half of the population. I, I have never... Oh, well, nonsense. that's always been true. There's I, going I, to be 20% at the bottom. With you, with you. <laughs> it's also true that 20% of the bottom population doesn't have to be living on the government and ruled by the government. Folks, leftists do this all the time. That's why it's one of my favorite clips. They start the story in the middle. They create a problem in government dependency via programs like welfare and the social safety net, which should be limited to people who really need it, right? They create the problem of dependency. And then when dependency metastasizes into generations of people who live on the government, then they say, well, what are we going to do if we stop the program? All these people are living on the government. Yeah, they're living on the government because you started the story in the middle. They're living on the government because of you. That's why they did it. And he also mentions how the lady just abuses statistics. Well, there's always going to be a bottom 20%. Of course. If you had five millionaires and the guy at the bottom is making a million and one dollar and the guy at the top is making a million and ten dollars, yes. The guy at the bottom making a million one dollars is the bottom 20%. Does that mean he's poor? That's just a statistical fact. She says it like it's an argument. Well, there's going to be a bottom 20% of poor people. Yeah, but they don't have to be poor. <laughs> one of my favorite cuts ever. Don't let them start the story in the middle. Here's the second one. Thomas Sowell, one of my favorites. I've, that's one I haven't used before, but I thoroughly enjoy this one. This is him debating another woman about the pay gap. And they're debating the pay gap, uh, the, the alleged pay gap between men and women. And notice the left does this all the time as a woman does in the opening of the clip here. 
She's trying to say women get paid less than men. But notice how when Thomas Sowell brings up the point that when you compare a woman of the same qualifications to a man with similar circumstances, the pay gap totally disappears. And that comparing what you call single women to men is not an accurate comparison because as Thomas Sowell says, well, what kind of single women are you talking about? Are you talking about women who've never been in the workforce? Or are you talking about women who say we're married 30, 40 years and then get a divorce and then re-enter the workforce? Because that's not the same as a guy who's been working 30 years. And the point of this clip is not just to show you how the left abuses statistics, but to show you the effect of confounding variables. I said yesterday, if you don't isolate what you're talking about in an experimental effect and you just say something like men versus women, you can fish out whatever statistic you want. Watch this. This is a beautiful takedown. Check this out. You would also have to agree that, generally speaking, women are paid less, for example, for the same jobs as men. No, I would not. I would not agree with that. If you're talking about women with the same number of years of experience, with the same continuous service, et cetera, et cetera, then when I look at that, I don't find that disparity. I find, for example, in many cases, the women are making more, depending on how you break the data down. The difference with women is between, unmar- is between married women and everybody else. That's the real difference. Well, even as to single women, the Census Bureau statistics, the most recent ones I could find, 1978, say that single men are earning $11,100 and single women are earning $9,300. Yes, I I love the word single that is used. When I did my study, I didn't use single, I used never married. You see, a woman who is single at age 40, having spent 10 or 20 years raising children, is really not quite the same as a man of age 40 who's been working continuously for 20 years. You see the point he's trying to make there? When you compare a single woman who's been working the entire time and the same amount of time with a man of equal qualifications and the same time in the workforce, the woman makes as much, if not more. You see how when you eliminate the confounds, the pay gap goes away? But that's the left. They're not interested in science, statistics, or data. They're interested in talking points. Beautiful segment. I've watched that. Tons of time, just because it just so nails down what they do all the time. Here's the last one for you. My favorite conservative video clips of the year and of all time. Here's Milton Friedman. You've seen this before. Debating Phil Donahue, a leftist on the Donahue show uh, back, I believe, in the 80s, maybe late 70s. I'm not really sure. Friedman debating Donahue on greed. It's just interesting how leftists like Donahue uh, point to capitalism as an example of greed and yet eliminate the tautological statement that human beings are greedy by nature. So the best way to control greed is a free market, not to concentrate the power of greed in the hands of a few government greedy officials. Check this out. When you see around the globe the maldistribution of wealth, the the desperate plight of millions of people in underdeveloped countries, uh, when you see so few haves and so many have-nots, when you see the greed and the concentration of power within, aren't you ever... Did you ever have a moment of doubt about capitalism and whether greed's a good idea to run on? Well, first of all, tell me, is there some society you know that doesn't run on greed? You think Russia doesn't run on greed? You think China doesn't run on greed? What is greed? Of course, none of us are greedy. It's only the other fellow who's greedy. (laughs) This, the world runs on individuals pursuing their separate interests. The great achievements of civilization have not come from government bureaus. Einstein didn't construct his theory under order from a, from a, a bureaucrat. 
Henry Ford didn't revolutionize the automobile industry that way. In the only cases in which the masses have escaped from the kind of grinding poverty you're talking about, the only cases in recorded history are where they, where they have had capitalism and largely free trade. If you want to know where the masses are worth, worse off, worst off, it's exactly in the kinds of societies that depart from that. Amen, Milton Friedman. The best way to control the natural greed of the human being is to distribute power over 330 million people in the United States who have free market power to influence prices every day with their buying decisions. The worst way to handle greed is to maximize its power by concentrating it in the hands of government bureaucrats who run the economy for themselves. Friedman influenced so many. God rest his soul. He's since passed. Those are some of my favorite conservative clips. I'm glad to play them for you. Let me get to my last sponsor. I'm hesitant to do this, but I have some predictions for 2022. I, I swore I'd stay out of the predictions game. But everybody's, we'll see how it works out. We'll see if I'm right. I've got four of them and then questions for Dan. We got some good ones. Okay. We'll see. Gee, you need to um, do me a favor. It's uh, the 23rd. So can you hold on to this show for next year? December 23rd next year. We'll go over and see how my predictions worked out. Joe, remember, okay? Flag I'm it. leaving it to both of you guys. We'll see. I, I Listen, the predictions game. I don't know, but we'll make a few just quickly on the economy. Dan Bongino predictions. We'll see a year from now. Inflation will be annualized next year in 2022 between seven and 8%, which is going to be really, really troubling. It's going to cause the Fed to act a little more uh, quickly than they wanted to in their taper, which is going to cause the economy to slow down next year. We'll see. We'll see if I'm right. I don't see inflation showing uh, slowing down. They thought the purchase of durable goods was going to knock inflation down once people got them because they're durable enough to buy them again. I don't think so. We'll see. On the healthcare front, more variants will obviously develop, but I'm predicting the severity of these variants is going to grow less and less, even as they grow more infectious. And we'll be dealing next year, hopefully, with a virus that resembles more a mild flu season than does the Delta variant. Again, we'll see. On the culture front, I predict we're going to see more Dave Chappelle's. I addressed this on my Fox show this week, and we will have a show on Christmas. Uh, it's pretty good. We have Governor Ron DeSantis on my Fox show Saturday night at 10 in an exclusive interview. Well, it's going to see more Dave Chappelle's fighting back against cancel culture. People are going to start to realize what Dave Chappelle did, that although there's going to be friction with the cancel culture brigade, that you can't be canceled if you refuse to be canceled. Dave Chappelle didn't apologize. And I think you're going to see more of that as people figure out that the 51% overrule the 49%. The 49% are the minority. They're the cancelers. And finally, in politics, in the midterms, ugh, these predictions, they were always the worst. Let's say the GOP in the midterms, I think they're going to take 30 seats in the House. 30 seats, that's a lot. 30 seats in the House, especially given that there's only a slim majority now for the Democrats. And I predict the GOP will take back the Senate. We'll see. Market, Gee, Joe, market. Flag it. 40-something minute mark. 45. We'll see how my predictions work out. Okay. You think so? I don't know. I got like a 60% success rate. Listen, you don't know. Predicts anything could happen. You know, black hole could swallow the universe next year. And then you wouldn't have to worry about inflation. There'd be no universe left to inflate. Okay. Questions for Dan. Hey, Dan. Do you think if the red wave happens next November, will there be a Biden impeachment the following January or so? 
Devlin 1956. Um, no, I don't. I don't. I, I, I really don't. I think, I just don't think the Republicans have the guts to do it. Sorry. That's a simple answer. <laughs> Let me move on. I just don't. Hey, Dan, how does your family celebrate the holiday? Special foods or customs? That's by Deb Joy DT. Yeah, we do. Um, Christmas, we always do a gift on Christmas Eve for my two daughters. We go to the mass at night. We uh, don't go on, on Christmas morning. We go the night before to mass. We, uh, we have, well, of course, we have dinner. I mean, we have dinner every night, but we have a Christmas dinner. And on New Year's, Paula brings her Colombian traditions to the household. We uh, eat 12 grapes on New Year's Eve after, uh, well, New Year's Day after the uh, ball drops. And you make a wish for every one of those 12 grapes. That's uh, Paul and, and you have a little champagne. So Paul and I have been doing that with the kids for a while. So yes, we do have some traditions. Here's a good one. Hey, Dan, listen to the show every day. Did you ever think of Joe doing the Joe Rogan podcast? I know he has different political views, but I think it would help spread your name and conservative ideas. Thanks for all you do. Well, thank you. Who is that, Guy? I can't see at the bottom. I like to give him a shout out. That's at, oh, okay. Sorry, I missed that one. Whoever it is, thank you. You know your question there. We cut that off. Uh, yeah, but the thing about Joe Rogan's podcast is it's the most popular podcast in the cosmos. So you don't do Joe Rogan's podcast until Joe Rogan says you do Joe Rogan's podcast. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's not the kind of thing where I can just, really, I mean, we have a, we have a popular show. Don't get me wrong. Um, you know, we're the second most popular conservative podcast in the country behind Shapiro, but still a Joe Rogan dwarfs our numbers. So yeah, if we get an invite on Joe Rogan's podcast, yeah, absolutely. I'd actually like to talk to him more about grappling and working out than I would about my politics, but whatever. Yes, I would do it hundred percent. Um, Hey Dan, is it, did I ever get this question before? It's, What's your everyday carry gun? Would love your opinion. Uh, GDELP79. I have a SIG. I have a lot of guns. I used to carry a Glock 43. I, I, I liked it. But I went with the SIG 365, and, which I really, really like with the extended mag. That is my carry gun. And the reason I like it is obviously magazine capacity, which Glock has since bumped up. But second, in the Secret Service, we had the SIG 229. They've since, I think, changed it. They've gone to Glocks now. I love SIG. I'm, <laughs> I just like SIG handguns. I like the way they feel. I like the way they shoot. They're very ergonomically correct. I like the SIG 365. It's a really great gun. And for rifles, I mean, listen, they're a sponsor, but I'm not telling you just because they're a sponsor. I love my BCM. And I also like just, I like messing around with my 44 carbine from Henry too. But again, I mean, they're sponsored, but I'm telling you, I'm not saying that because they're sponsors. It's actually the reverse. I have them as sponsors because I love their guns, not the other way around. Okay. Um, hey, Dan, do you believe there's a more sinister element to the testing strategy given the simple stupidity you mentioned in your podcast? This is exactly what I was saying. This is by Dan, uh, uh, Dan R5160. Yeah, I kind of mentioned this before. Um, I don't. I no, I really don't. I he's he's basically implying here, like, are, is Biden going to send out all these tests so the positive numbers go up, so they can continue the fear porn campaign? No, I don't think so because Biden's campaign now, uh, camp, excuse me, White House operatives inside the White House are starting to tell him to ease down on the fear porn campaign because it's crushing the economy. So no, I just think they want to look like they're doing something and testing. They thought would be an easy way to do it. Who <laughs> just buy tests? Proving you again, the government can't even do that right. They can't even buy the tests or the pills, as Joe Biden calls them. All right, this is by the Guido Fuzz. Is that real? 
What are some of the most fondest Christmas memories growing up you have? Does the Bongino family open up gifts on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day? Does Lucy have a stocking? Thanks, Dan. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you too. Yes, Lucy does have a stocking. I mentioned some of our traditions before. My fondest Christmas memories uh, were going out to my dad's house. My parents were divorced, so we had kind of two Christmases. And he lived in Selden, Long Island on King Avenue, right down the block from Newfield High School. From some, I'm sure we have some listeners over there. And uh, he would, my, my dad, he told me, he just had this conversation with him recently, my father. He used to keep the presents not under the tree, but upstairs. So he'd bring them down one by one. And I said, dad, why'd you do that? He's like, cause Dan, you know, I thought about it. If you guys just ran under the tree and ripped open the presents one by, it'd be over in five minutes. He's like, I wanted to make sure I extended it. So he would bring them one by one. He bought us a lot of stuff. So it was a lot of fun. It would go on for like an hour. I'd get my GI Joe stuff, my He-Man stuff, my toy guns. I had a lot of toy guns. I had the Jaguarmatic. Remember the Jaguarmatic cap gun? That was like the Cadillac of cap guns. So it was, that was, I just remember my dad walking down and saying, who's next? That was awesome. We had such a good time. The Gee wants to know if me and my brother fought over toys. Never. And I'll tell you why. I have two brothers and a, and a, and a stepsister, but just call my sister. My brother's a year younger than me, my brother Jim, but he was a fanatic about sports. I liked comic books, He-Man, G.I. Joe, and guns. My brother Jim couldn't have gave a damn about any of that stuff. All he wanted was baseball cards, bats, gloves, footballs. He didn't care about it. So, no, we never fought over toys at all, ever. Good question. This is a question for Gee. Gee's, yeah, Joe, Gee's just a, you know what? We should do a Gee and Joe question. <laughs> Gee's just adding a segment here. All right, this is for, wait, you, did I miss that last one? Wait, a reindeer fan for life. Okay, hey, Dan, this is the next one. Hey, Dan, while it appears we'll most likely take the house next year, what are your top three Senate seats to watch? Good question. My top seat to watch Nevada. It Nevada, Nevada you got to watch Nevada. Uh, Cortez Masto, I think, is going to lose to Adam Laxalt, which would be an enormous upset. Laxalt's a Republican, a good guy. Um, I, I support him. I think he's fantastic. That is my top seat to watch. If we can take that seat back, it would be just a sonic boom to the political establishment. The second seat to watch... I think Mark Kelly in Arizona is in real, real trouble, the Democrat. I don't know who's going to win the primary there, Bernovich or Masters. Um, there's a guy, I think, McGuire running as well. Uh, but I think Mark Kelly is in real, real trouble in Arizona. And I'd say third, here's a long, long shot. I'll throw in another one. Three, I'll throw three, three, and 3.5. Michael Bennett in Colorado. There's, there's something like eight or nine challengers on the Republican side facing uh, Democrat Michael Bennett. It's a long shot. I mean, the last Senate election, I think, uh, was decided by the Democrat by nine points. But I think Michael Bennett, in a real wave, Michael Bennett could be in trouble too. I mean, that would be another political earthquake. It's kind of a long shot. I'll throw one more in there too, J close to Joe's home there. Larry Hogan, who is a Republican governor in a deep, deep blue state, a two-term Republican governor in Maryland. By the way, we're not friends at all. I'm no fan of Larry Hogan. He's a big rhino. But there's no disputing the obvious. Larry Hogan's very popular in Maryland. He just is. He's not with the Trump crowd, not with me either. But he's popular. He won two terms in a state where that was thought to be impossible to ever win the governorship at all. Right. He's considering running for the Senate seat against Chris Van Hollen. 
Listen, I'd take Hogan over Van Hollen. I'm no fan of Hogan, but Van Hollen's the worst. Even if we get 50% out of Hogan, we'll get 0% out of Van Hollen. If Larry Hogan enters the Senate race in Maryland, I mean, you want to talk about like a, a upset for the ages? If that happens, that throws the whole Senate. That throws the whole Senate. I mean, we could be up 55-45. So we'll see. He hasn't decided yet what he's going to do. Uh, okay. Hey, Dan, I understand and can only imagine why you left the Secret Service when you did, but I always wonder if you regret not being an agent when President Trump was in office. CTG 143. Uh, yeah, I do sometimes. The Secret Service is really, really, really hard work. It is. The shift changes, the constant, like, not sleeping. You get ill a lot overseas traveling. I mean, I can't even tell you how many GI disorders I got from drinking water overseas. I used to get it out of the way. I drink the water right when I got to the hotel. Just like get it out of the way. Um, you know, the lack of sleep was the worst part. I mean, you really don't sleep a lot in the Secret Service. Your sleep cycle's totally screwed up. Think about it. You'll travel around the world through different time zones. You'll come back for a week. This is when they really start traveling overseas a lot. You'll come back for a week. You'll be on like the midnight shift at the White House. Then you'll travel to another time zone just as you're getting back to the time zone. You thought you, it's the most, you can never sleep. So it was hard work, but yeah, I do wonder what it would have been like uh, to work. I probably would have been a supervisor by then. I was uh, on that promotional track. Yeah, I do wonder about that a lot, but do I regret it? No, I mean, I feel like I'm making a bigger difference here and this was God's path for me. You know, sometimes you ask God for an answer and the answer is no. I ran for office, said, God, please guide me. Should I do this? God said, no, you shouldn't. <laughs> and then I wound up here, which is good. He had a different path for me. Sometimes you ask God for answers and sometimes the answer is no. Cause he's got something different in store for you. Uh, Hey Dan, my husband wants to know where you get all your t-shirts. I'll make this the last one. He thinks uh, they're pretty cool and loves the patriotic look to them. Do you buy them from a certain store? Or do you order them online? KT 2022. My t-shirt with the American flag. That's from BCM Bravo company manufacturing the rifle company. Yes, they are a sponsor. Um, but this, the shirts I wear proudly is for a charity folds of honor. You know how important education is to me. It's a life changer. Folds of Honor provides scholarships to the uh, families of fallen soldiers, injured soldiers. It's run by Dan Rooney, a friend. He'll be on my radio show later today. It is on Charity Navigator. It's one of the most efficient charities out there. If you go to foh.org, short for Folds of Honor, foh.org slash Dan, foh.org slash Dan. You can make a charitable donation there. I can't recommend the charity enough. I'll be making a donation on Christmas on Fox, which I do every year to try to incentivize people. But folks, education's a game changer. And I can't think of more qualified people than the families of our fallen soldiers, law enforcement individuals who are hurt in the line of duty, some killed, than to uh, take care of their kids, get them into school, and give them a shot of prosperity. So that's where I get these shirts. And we're working on now um, a shirt. For, maybe I shouldn't say, for the show. So we'll see. Special Folds of Honor shirt. It's a wonderful, wonderful charity. Thanks again for a great year, folks. I want to say, uh, actually, I'll let Joe and Guy, uh, Guy say it themselves. Guy, any words for the audience? He says he's got nothing but love for you, and he's so glad to be here. He gave me a nice card this morning. And look, Guy gave me a $100 gift card. I'm like, dude, you didn't have to do that. That was very nice of you, though. Very good, good guy. Joe, for the audience, any words for him? Are you... For, just want to thank everybody for hanging with us through the year, through the troubles, through the good times. Great, great audience. Everybody here loves to do this show. 
We love to do the show, and I want you to know that from the bottom of my heart. God bless you. Have a wonderful Christmas and a great new year. Joe means every word of that. He speaks for all of us. And I want to thank you as well for the emails about Joe's family. You all know what I mean. You all throughout the year were very thank caring. You. And uh, a big, enormous thank you. Uh, you all, ugh, I don't want to get like, choked up. I'm such a goofball. But really, uh, you all, have, you've given me everything. I mean, you've given me the opportunity through your loyalty to the show to go out and make a stand and to go out and to have, to, you know, to be able to do things because I want to, not because I have to. And it gives me the ability every single day, you know, to stand up and, um, and fight for what I believe in is right. You all are terrific. And we will definitely see you back here in the new year. We will have some best ofs for you next week on the channel here on the rumble channel and wherever you get the podcast, Guy and Joe are putting them together and uh, thank you all so much. Merry Christmas. Happy new year. We'll see you next year. Good day, sir. You just heard Dan Bongino.